Welcome to the Steadfast Carlsbad podcast. This morning's message was taken out of our 10 a.m. service. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. Thanks for tuning in. So as we get into the section, chapter 6, which we it's been a while since we started this, is a, a super gnarly, the, the first uh, eight verses are intense. And there's warnings, warnings about like falling away, those who don't mature in the faith, that there's like a falling away that can happen. Those who've been, who, and, and it's people who have partaken in being enlightened, those who have tasted the heavenly gift, the Holy Spirit, the good word, powers of the age to come, that, that even those who've been around it and have experienced this by not progressing, by, by going stagnant and by like, it's, it, it can be, you can, you can go another way. And so there's all kinds of questions that can come with that. But in, basically, I think the warning is don't. And so in verses 9 through 12, uh, the author is saying, but I'm confident that you guys aren't going to do this. Like, I, I'm confident that, that you guys are, are going, there's better things for you that you're not gonna fall into this because they're, th- they're starting to stagnate in their faith and they're starting to lose the, the calling and the acute, uh, like, you know, pointed calling in their life and they're starting to look back to like, man, wasn't it safer before? Wasn't it more comfortable before? And, and so the author's like, this is just nothing to go back to. There you, there's nowhere to go back to. Those were all shadows. Those were all signs towards the real thing. We have the real thing. There's no going back. There's just no going back. And so uh, in, in verses 11 and 12 that we covered a couple weeks ago, it says, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So don't grow sluggish in following Jesus, that you might inherit the promises, that you, be, you can take, experience the goodness of God, the hope that you have in him. Through what? Faith and patience. And so then we have, as we start here in verse 13, an example of that. You think about faith and patience, that you, like those who you can model your life after. Look at Abraham. Verse 13, for when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. Uh, Abraham, like us, had been given promises. His were direct, like from the mouth of God. (laughs) I mean, like, wow. But like us, had been given promises, and then circumstances they weren't looking good. It seemed to put those promises in jeopardy. And he seemed to have every reason to not believe. And we even see there's a slip up where they didn't really do too well. So how am I going to have a kid? Right? And that's part of the, we, we mentioned it last week, the Mother's Day message, but like the, the tenets of Abrahamic righteousness, loyal to God, even in the midst of being in Baal land. We are loyal to God and no one else. It was like Moses' mother. We're going to be loyal to him no matter what. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We, will, we may burn, but we will not bow. You could throw us in the lion's den, but we, I, I'm going to follow God. 
And so we have that kind of a mentality as we look. So Abraham believed even in this midst of a heavily spiritualized context. It's important to understand these, these Baal, it's not nothing. There are spiritual powers attached to these things. There is no God like our God, but there are spiritual powers at stake. And as we're living in the, the world right now, I think for a long time, the U.S., the God's best, uh, I mean, the, the enemy's best tactic was for us to be lulled to sleep like there's nothing. Now it's starting to manifest, isn't it? We're seeing darkness like right in front of us. And you're going, oh, there's, a, there's no subtlety to this, is there? And, but the, the call, like it was for Abraham, for us, is to be loyal no matter what. Like, I'm, I trust God no matter what. This has to do with his promises. So Abraham was trusting in the promises of God to be loyal and to stake the claim right here, I'm making an altar. I will choose to worship God right here, right now. Like Joshua, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And then what was the next part? Trust. Trusting God even when it makes no sense. And it made no sense what was going on in his life to have a baby. And he was grieved. But he continued to trust in God. What's nice about the Abraham story is there was slip-ups in that trust. But God didn't say, well, you, messed, you didn't trust at one point, so you're out. Obviously, that unbelief made itself clear in damage. But like God continue to work in and through his life. So then what happens? And this is the quote here, saying, surely I'll bless you and multiply you from Genesis 22. He has his son, Isaac. And then what is God, this child of promise? Oh, he's finally come, you know? What a miracle. Now he was asked to sacrifice him on an altar. Does any of this make sense? But I mean, obviously, God hasn't asked you to sacrifice your children on the altar. And you might think sometimes he did or something, you know, like, oh, I, I took, brought you in. You know, anyway, we talked about that last week. But like, it's like, where you, who could imagine that? Like, you've finally been given this opportunity to have the kid. And now what? You're asking me to sacrifice him? But what, what, what's the context? that Abraham's experiencing. I've already seen him be faithful. So even though he doesn't, he's never seen someone raised from the dead, he thinks maybe he'll raise him from the dead after I kill him. Like, I don't know. But all I know is I'm gonna trust God and his promises, and I know the things he's already said to me, and I know that he's gonna make me a mighty nation, and I know he's gonna bless me, and I know that I'm gonna have an heir that's not from somewhere else. It's gonna be... Through. So I don't know all the details, but I am going to trust in this promise. Because I remember when I didn't trust in the promise before, and it didn't turn out so good. So with the, the background and the understanding of like God has been so good to me and so faithful and has blown my mind and has already done the miraculous, I've experienced an exercised faith and belief. And what was Abraham is believed God, had faith, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. That's pretty sick, right? Like, what is that faith and righteousness? This is it. That he believed God. We, had, we were talking with the youth on Friday. And, and Jesus is like, I'm the bread of life. He's like, if you believe that, like, you, you'll follow me. You'll do my will. And, and that's really what it all comes down to. 
You know, you go like, I, you know, I love God. I am super tight with God. I'm cool with Jesus, but I just don't want to do what he tells me to do. Can I say you're really not? You don't really get him. <laughs> like, that's me too. In the places in my life where I think I know better, it means that I think that I literally know more than him or I have a better judgment of what is good than him or I have a better understanding of the way the world works than him. This is really what it all boils down to for Abraham. None of this makes any sense. The only thing I can anchor my hope in is the fact that the God who does amazing, miraculous things, when my body and my wife's body was as good as dead, we had a child. So maybe even if I do go through and sacrifice my son, he'll raise him again. I just know he's good. And a lot of this doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I know he's good and I know he's faithful. So even though you might not be in that kind of a situation, we're always in the situations where we can choose faith or my way. And we're, we're, we become like amazing, like, uh, you know, lawyers and, you know, we're so good at like defending our case. Why this time it was actually okay. You know, you're like, you know, if you look at it from this angle and then, and then, well, here's, here's the thing, God, is you, you hadn't, probably hadn't considered, there's more context here, um, and I think you'll get where I'm coming from. And he's like, I just want you to trust me. Because this is not about the thing. It's not about the thing. It's about you and me. The more you trust me, the better off this is going to go. The more you trust me. If you believe what I say to you, then you're going to go, you're going to see my faithfulness come through. So Abraham's in this position. And so we have him as an example. When God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. He's like, well, what, what could be greater, right? Than swearing by himself. He's like, here you go. You know, like there's no one else I could possibly, there's no other thing or name that's above this. I will come through. So he says, surely blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply you. This, this is, in, like I said, Genesis 22, after Abraham had been faithful to be willing to sacrifice his own son. And that just puts triggers in our head. Like, is this like cosmic child abuse 101 here? What is this? And, and what it is, is like, you finally got the blessing that you've been searching for for your whole entire life. And, and the miracle has finally come, but don't, don't choose the miracle over the one who did the miracle. Isaac can't do it for you, Abraham. I have to be your God. This, new, this kid cannot be your new idol. And so what is this? He's calling Abraham to trust him in an extreme way and to see him be faithful. Verse 15, and so after he had patiently endured, endured he obtained the promise. Patient endurance. I mean, how, 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 this is how it is, isn't it? Like, this is like when you give your life to Christ, someone should tell you, you ready for some patient endurance? No one wants to hear that, you know? But the patient endurance is, is the race of faith where, we're, where we set ourselves up for success. We've been given all the tools, all the gifts, everything that we could possibly need to follow Jesus. He's given us all of it. And, and even then, it's gonna be tough. 
But you were made for this. This is what molds us and shapes us. Like the church is built in adversity. We're built in times that are unsteady where we finally get to the end of ourselves and trust God and then watch him come through. Boom. So after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Patience. No one wants that. Endurance. That's tough too. You know, remember when you used to run the mile when you were like, you know, whatever, junior high or high school or something? I remember there was always at least one kid every year. And, and it was like four laps was a mile, right? Every year, there was one kid who sprinted the first lap. I want to say sprinted the first three quarters of a lap. I mean, just like, and you're like, this guy's fast, you know? He's just booking. And then all, he's like, puke zone, you know, by the time he's getting around the first lap. And then everybody else is kind of like talking. They're passing him, you know, <laughs> just kind of keep going. There's a patient endurance to this. It's not like a, a, a dead-on sprint. We went to Colorado one year, and, and um, one of the girls that went with us was like, I'm an avid walker. Like, I, I, I'm a big time. I walk all the time. So when we go on our big hike, you know, um, is it okay if I go like way ahead of everyone else? And I'm like, well, don't go like too far ahead, but let's just see how that goes, right? She just takes off like a rocket, literally not even to the halfway point, like maybe a quarter point throwing up on the side. I mean, it's like, you have no idea. 9,000 feet of elevation to 13,000 does to you. Just crazy. And you go, and you're like, let's just, um, let's just make it to the top. <laughs> not worry about how fast, or and don't worry about other, anyone else's pace. That'll also drive you crazy. Like, this person's so much faster than I am. Yeah, well, maybe they're made for that. Maybe their legs are longer. Maybe they're lighter. That's just the, so like, run your race. Run your race. When I, one of my jobs on that was, uh, I was not the first one up the hill, but I probably had 30 water bottles in my backpack. I was a mule. <laughs> so you know what? My race looked very differently than our stud soccer player kid's race. He's just like, he actually literally is like a gazelle up the side of the thing. And you're like, yeah, wow, man. I haven't weighed what you weighed since I was like 10, you know? He's just quick. But you know what? I could carry some water bottles. So everybody's got their own thing, but it's a patient endurance. As we move on, we are running our own race of faith with endurance and with patience. So when you go, God didn't show up and I'm out of here. And there's so many people who have left the church because of this. I trusted him. He didn't show up. How long did you trust him? Because I'll tell you what, the first thing you'll notice is not that he does exactly what you want him to do. Well, most of the time. It's that you find out he's there with you in the middle of the storm. That is much more vital than a cosmic genie that you rub the lamp and go, I need this from you now. Hey, 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 wake up, wake up, wake up. I need something. I need, I, hey, dad, 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 my bank account's getting low. Fill it up. No, he's, he's in the mix with us, working things out in us. Why? Because he loves to see us suffer? No, because this is how it, we were meant to be built up. Him walking through it all, 
not leaving us or forsaking us. You know what? Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Does that sound fun? Sounds like water bottles plus, right? And then once you get up to the top, getting crucified on the water bottles. It's just gnarly. But this is what we were literally created for. So everything in our brain that says, no, 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 I want easy, easy, easy. I want chill, chill, chill. I want everything to go the way I want it to. And so I'm gonna set and curate my life to be exactly what I want it to be. And then we get bummed out. Why isn't it going? Why, even though I set everything up just perfectly, there's people to mess it up. What a shame. I finally got everything just perfectly. And now all of a sudden, somebody else comes in. Eh, that's because that's not the life you're supposed to live. The best years are the messiest in so many ways. And, and, and you find, if you look back on years of struggle and trial, and you watch God move, and, and you stay patiently enduring through those seasons, you look back and go, I am so grateful to know that I have that kind of God that will be with me through it all. So, after Abraham had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. He obtained the promise. The promise will come. Don't lose heart. Keep trusting God. He's faithful. And we, I've mentioned before those hikes. I, I couldn't remember exactly how long they went, but I, I think I said, I think it's just around this bend about 50 times. I think it's just around this bend we'll start climbing the switchbacks. And you're like, not that bend. Maybe another one. And you're like, this bend. But you just keep going, one foot in front of the other, trusting that there is an end in sight. We have a direction and we have a goal. And we have a community that helps us do it. And of course, we have the Lord driving us as we go. Unbelief means we trust something more than God. That's really what it means. That it's something else is more trustworthy than what God has said. And it's, yeah, we can probably try and make it more complicated, but it's really not. Verse 16, for men indeed swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is for them an end to all disputes. Swearing is a way to appeal to like, I really mean it, you know? If you hear someone say, I swear to God, and that means that their word's probably not that good. <laughs> You're like, okay, don't listen to my word because that's not very good, but I swear. And usually when they're saying something like that, you're like, um, you probably aren't telling me the truth because people get used to saying that too. Like they go to the extreme. No, I promise. And, and this is where we get into the importance of keeping our word and having our promise. That's why it says don't swear. Just say let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't swear by things like heaven and earth. But God's saying, just so you understand how great I am, I'm going to put it all on my own name. This is how you will know. I am swearing upon myself because there's none greater. So get this in your mind. There's no greater cosmic power, no universe, no anything else. Heavens and earth can pass away. He endures. He remains to the end. So we might swear by the greater, something greater than ourselves, and an oath, like I promise, right? God gets you out of like a jam. You're like, I'm in so much trouble. And you're like, I promise I'm gonna become a monk, you know, and I'm gonna serve you. And you're like, three minutes later, you're like, maybe not, you know? And God's like, I didn't ask you to do that. Just stop being, stop being an idiot. I mean, and even then I'll help you, you know? But don't, don't do this thing 
verse 17, thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Lot here, a lot here. But the idea is God's determined to show more abundantly. And, and determined is like, he just really, really wants to show us. He really wants to show us in, in abundance the, heir, the heirs of his promise. That's all of us who are choosing to trust in Jesus. He really wants to show us the immutability of his counsel. Immutability, what's the word you hear in the middle of immutability? Mutation, you know what I'm saying? That would be like if things that change can go from one thing to the other. Immutability means unchanging, unalterable. He wants to show that his promises are secure. Yes and amen. So he wants to make it clear to all of those that are the heirs of his promise that the, the uh, unaltered plans, his unaltered plans, that he's, he's fulfilling it to the end. He's faithful to the end. And that is like what he's trying to show us. And that is what we get the amazing glimpse of. We get the amazing glimpse of seeing this happen in the life of Abraham, where he goes from, oh man, I'm, I'm you know, I, I don't know how God's going to do this. I don't know how it's all going to work out. Uh, yeah, okay, now I trust God in front of Baal. Oh, now I, I do trust you that you're going to bring a son, even though it doesn't make any sense. And now I do trust you because you've, of all you've already done, and I've seen how faithful your promises are. When you say something, you actually mean it. And that's actually something to think about. A lot of times we don't believe promises because we don't keep promises. So we're really quick to give a promise to someone and we don't mean it. But do you know how much that affects our, our actually the way we think about things? So we as Christ followers shouldn't be those who are flippantly throwing out promises. We all do it. We all make that mistake. But like to be able to take it at our word, like I said, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. That, that happens a lot where you're like, you make a plan and you're like, oh no. I made that plan when I had energy and now I don't have energy. Why did I make that plan? You know, we were doing it with cannons. Like, can we, can we wake up and, and early in the morning and go play baseball? And you're like, I think so. Yeah. Be careful. Promising. I think so. But I'm thinking, dude, this is, this is, this is being a dad. <laughs> like do it, man. Get up. He's, he wants to do it. If the boy wants to get up and exercise and get better, show up you can and then you go okay good we showed up let's not make a promise that it's going to happen every day or anything but like you know boom so he wants us to experience like abraham did the faithfulness of god and the promises of god and as we experience that then we are more likely to trust him as we go it builds on each other it's a foundation and the foundation is in our full allegiance and faith in christ he gets the best of me. Not like the leftovers. You're, you get the best of me. You get the most of me. When, if there's ever a dispute between you and anything else, you win. And, and, it, and 
we can have that in our mind, and a lot of times we do. Oh, I, you know, I know, I know what, I know this, or I would totally believe God, or oh, I totally trust his promises. But then when you're sitting there like Abraham, and you're like, 100 years old, 90 years old, my son, I'm holding the knife. What? What? How's this going to work out? And we find ourselves more often in those kind of situations than, oh, I trust in God's promises, and yeah, he just worked it out. It was all really easy. So God is immutable or unchangeable or unaltered. There's no need to swear because he always tells the truth. God cannot lie. But he shows there's no other or higher name that he could possibly swear on anyway. There's no I couldn't go any higher. There is no higher. And for us, that's like ding, 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 whoa. Because for us, there's always something higher, you know, Oh, I'm a hundred times better than you. I'm a thousand times better than you. Until some kid says, I'm infinity better than you. And you're like, whoa, shoot. You are infinity better than me, I guess. Well, I'm infinity squared. That's not a thing. Cubed? You know. So there's no greater thing you could possibly swear. And thus God determined, wanting to show more abundantly. He wants to show more abundantly. God wants to, this is so beautiful. He wants us to experience his goodness. He wants us to find out that it can work in the most gnarly situations. That's, that's, this is the whole idea of, of what used to be infomercials. You, you set it up like, You've got a white rug. You just spilled grape juice on it. Oh, oh man, you cut your finger. Now there's blood on top of the grape juice. Uh-oh, here comes Fido. You know, and he's like, you know, rubbing in stuff all over it. And you're like, oh, what kind of how, like madhouse is this? And why do you have white rugs? And then they come in and they go, yeah, but check this out. And they show you what this vacuum can do. Oh, amazing. And you have, it has to be set against, like, uh, has to be set against a almost impossible circumstances for us to go, I think I need that in my life. And so what does God do in us? We find ourselves often set in seemingly impossible circumstances where the only option would be bail. Right? Romans talks about, like, for his his say his namesake, we're we're like, you know, we're up against the slaughter every day. We're like sheep before the slaughter, lambs before the slaughter, but we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. He he loves us so much. He's he he put. We're like up against it, and yet he shows up for us. Why? Think about the Second uh, Corinthians chapter four: earthen vessels. Why do we have this treasure in earthen vessels? So that the excellence and power may be of God and not of us. So that no one looks at us and goes, whoa, that's amazing. We have a serious idolatry issue in the church. Church leaders, worship leaders. It's gross. Like it, it, it's become, and because it's like, oh, got failed again, got failed again. We should be able to look up to people, but go, this is not about you, it's about God. And so if there's ever a place where you're like, I'm not seeing much earthen vessel anymore. I'm seeing like this, like, you know, that this is almost God in front of me, you know. 
Obviously, we were supposed to represent him, but the, the excellence is the, the good news of the gospel working out of us. That you see us and you know that it's God because of what we've had to go through, right? Because what's the earthen vessel? It's hard-pressed on every side, you know? It's perplexed. It's, it's, it, it's you know, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. And the excellence is in Christ because of that. So we have this life where we're like, you know, part of us is like, I don't want to have to go through anything. But then when we find out that God meets us in those things, we're like, whoa, he really does keep his promises. And that's the goal. So, so think about this. Is, this is the context written to this church, these believers. You guys are going through stuff and you want to bail. Please don't miss out on the ending where God shows up and blows your mind. And maybe it doesn't go the way you want it to go anyway, and it's not the happy ending you would have hoped it would be, but there would be faith, your faithfulness will be made known to the end, and you won't regret it. You will not regret it if you continue to trust Jesus, even if it means your end. Because we're gonna find out in a second here, that's not the end. Our hope is actually much greater than just getting through stuff. So uh, he wants us to see that he's, he's, you know, makes it abundantly clear that those receiving the promise, uh, you know, receiving the promise, believing the promise, how unchangeable, how unalterable his, his purpose, his counsel, his purpose or plan is for us. He did it so that we can see him come through. So we can see him and trust him more in the future. So when we pull the plug, we miss out. God cannot lie. So we're encouraged by God's power to keep his, his immu immutability and never change. And we find refuge in the promises in the person of God. As we find, that's what he says, we have a refuge if we lay, our ho lay hold of the hope set before us. Refuge is like a safe place a safe place in the midst of the storms. Why? Because of who he is and the fact that what he said is unchanging. What he said and who he is. He can't lie. He's unchangeable. He's all-knowing, all-powerful. And he's given us promises that we can hold in our hand and we go, you gave me this promise and I believe it. We find refuge there. So the hope set before us, um, his promises and his person. That's the hope his promises, and his person. Verse 19, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. That's a good name anyway. Uh, and which enters the presence behind the veil. This hope we have, which is Christ, as an anchor for our soul. So it's the hope of Christ is what he's doing in us now reborn in Christ, new creation, right? Brand new, yet in a world that is very dark, very heavy, without, and there's still sin, there's still death, there's not, it's not complete. He's begun the work in us, and there's also, he'll finish it, so his anger for our souls both sure and steadfast, so it's what he started now, 
and what he will do. Presence behind the veil. The idea behind the veil is in the presence of God, with him. It's kind of like heaven. This is, this is so it, it's here and it's there. So we have a hope in the fact that he's with us here. He's working in us here. He has plans and purposes in all of it here, some of which we'll never know. But, and then we also have the hope and promise of eternity. So we use this as an anchor for our soul. Why is an anchor important in a boat? What does an anchor stop you from doing? Drifting. How easy is it for you to drift without an anchor? I mean, you just get moved. Like, you know, we use the example of, say you go surfing or whatever, you take a boogie board out or something, or even just swimming. And you're just on a, on a day where it's, it's, it's just move. you know, you go out and all of a sudden you're like, where am I? You're like on Camp Pendleton. You're like, uh-oh, I don't have my ID. You know, <laughs> this is a problem. You see like San Onofre and you're like, then you come out and you've got like gills and, you know, like superpowers. Sorry, yeah. This is the way my mind works. But it's so easy to drift. And the drifting obviously can get us off course. And so that means like a, a life without meaning, aimless, you know, ship without a rudder. Where are we going? But it also means it saves us from getting tossed into rocks and dangerous things ashore. So it keeps us from being purposeless, which is the next generation. Oh my goodness, you guys, the, the data is out. They are, they are, this is, they are hopeless, a lot of them. That's why they're trying to tie into like all the stuff they can try and figure out. They're being told the climate's done, everything's done, you know, it's all a mess. The only thing we can try to do is, is try and salvage what very little is left. They have been given a hopeless narrative. And in Jesus, that is unacceptable. And so the message will preach really well. If we stop being annoyed with people who are younger than us and we love on them and we see the need in them is the same need that was in us. You know, because that's a lot of times one generation despises the next generation. And it's always like when you're the generation above the generation that had done that to you, you kind of go, you know, oh, this is funny, you know. Because you're always like, when you're the cool, like, one that's in high school, you're like, Shh, nobody gets it. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, no, I'm old now. And I'm out of touch, which is always, you know, I don't know. I think it's a good thing. It's humbling. But the idea is that this message is profound for all of us, that there's a purpose and that there's a hope for you here and now, right now. In, we're in the church age. You have been born here and now. You live where you live right now. God has allowed you to be here. He's given you breath in your lungs. Your heart is pumping. You are alive. Why? You have a purpose. That awakens a whole bunch of stuff in us, doesn't it? I have a purpose. Tell this to your children or your grandchildren or the children of the church. You have a purpose. You might freak them out. They're like, I don't know you. You're like, come here. You have a purpose. They're like, ah, stranger danger, you know. But speak of it often and, and let that be the, the primary voice in which we talk to the next generation. Not like you guys are such a mess. They're like, uh, we're kind of cleaning up your mess by the way, none of us can ever buy a house. You know, <laughs> you're like, yeah, okay, true. But they give, someone else gave it to us. You know, got it. 
So this, it's just become this whole thing. So we want to give purpose for the here and the now, God moving in and through us, and a, a glimpse of the presence of what is to come. Because it's important, I think it's important that we don't just go, oh, I'm just going to heaven, and so that's a, whatever happens else here on earth that doesn't really matter. No, I think we're supposed to care about what happens here. I think we're supposed to be engaged in what happens here. I think we're transformed on this side of eternity for a reason, not just when you go to heaven. It's like, no, you've been given the Holy Spirit now so that you'd be an effective witness. This is the church age where God is using the church as the agent to change the world. So we have that, but it is anchored again in our ultimate hope in eternity that at the end of it all, we know we have Jesus. And if everything goes wrong for us here, we win there. Big time we win there. And there's going to be rewards. And I don't know about you. I, I, I think like, what is a reward? What is a crown? I don't, I don't know what that is, but I know from all the blessings I've received in my life from God, if he wants to give it to me and he says it's a good thing, it's a really good thing. <laughs> so, this, uh, yeah, the veil represents presence, heaven. And this is priest talk, right? Because what was the veil? The high priest would go back once a year and he would deal with uh, the sins of the people. This was where God would be with the children of Israel. It was a very limited exposure but it was, this is how it was. It was an opportunity for God's presence to dwell in the camp of Israel again. And what happened when Jesus died on the cross? What happened? The veil was torn in two. And what do we have now? We're in it. Heaven is in us. Verse 40, where the forerunner has entered for us. Jesus is the forerunner. He's gone before us. He's the, he's the trailblazer. He's already done it for us. He's already gone. It's, that's where, it's so cool. Jesus said, like, you know, in my father's house are, you know, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. Whew, what a good news passage that is. Amazing. I prepared a place for, I'm going ahead of you to prepare a place for you. I've, I'm the forerunner. And even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Next week, we're going to talk about Melchizedek. We've been teasing at Melchizedek for a long time. But we're going to talk about Melchizedek, this king of Salem, who, who Abraham gives his offering to. So it's like pretty wild. But it's under the order of Melchizedek, Jesus, the high priest who's gone before us, who is our advocate. We have, a, we have this faithful high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses, you know, who knows what it's like to be tempted to go through stuff. And so we have a forerunner that's gone before us, that's done this life well, which is great. He's made a path that way. That's what we have in the Bible. We read the life of Jesus and we go, whoa, look at what God can do in a life. And then we see it in his disciples and apostles. Whoa, look at what God can do in a life. When the same spirit that was living in Jesus is now living in us, the helper. And then we have the promise of eternity, heaven. What good news. What an anchor. 
So as the world gets more and more tumultuous, we need to be even more so dedicated and purposeful about where our anchor is. Where do I plant my, where do I put this where it's immovable? In the immovable, immutable, unchanging God that his promises endure forever. What good news. An anchor for our soul, Jesus Christ, anchored in Jesus. What a, yeah. This, this is what endures the gnarliest of storms. This is what will take us through any trial in life, anchored in Jesus, in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join us in person, head over to steadfastcarlsbad.com for more info. God bless.